You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where every episode we discuss a different album from Robert Emery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. Skylarking. In the room, I have Anne. Hey. Alex. Yo, Napotkirano. Rob. XTC is the Village Green Preservation Society. And on the line, I have Kyle. It's you. <laughs> Skylarking is the ninth studio album by the English rock band XTC, released on the 27th of October 1986 on Virgin Records. The producer was Todd Rundgren, and the genre is pop, rock, and psychedelia. And I'm going to read from the book Chris Barnes. Does conflict create art? The conflict between band leader Andy Partridge and producer Todd Rundgren was so deep-seated, it's a wonder all concerned left the studio still sane. It is nothing short of miraculous that the music that emerged was so breathtaking. The aim was modest, create a concept album that covers growing up, dawning sexuality, getting married, facing old age, and fading away, all set within the framework of a single day. Not an approach to please the record executives who were putting pressure on the group. By now, a studio-based outfit since Partridge stage fright ruled out touring to deliver hits. What the group delivered was a pastoral masterpiece recognized by Rolling Stone as one of the decade's 50 best albums. Openers, Summer's Cauldron, and the idyllic grass are a lazy heat haze and buzzing Petros. Ironic since the demo for the former was cut during freezing January. The meeting place celebrates snatch moments while season cycle is Brian Wilson refracted through rural Britain. Concept albums usually run aground of dint of having to chart in a changing narrative, an obligation that often outstrips the artist's songwriting skills. But the move from summer into fall into winter is seamless. Uh, this is the Beatles perched on bales of hay. All right, what do we think of XTC Skylarking? One of my favorite records of all time. In fact, you know, th- three, four years ago, yeah. we talked about this podcast. I know. And I said, I want to be on the Skylarking episode. <laughs> you flipped through the book, and after five minutes, you're like, there's one album I just want to talk about, and it's Skylarking. I, I love that with the release schedule of these things, the words you just said will most likely be like eight years ago. <laughs> so what we decided to do, um, as you all probably remember, is yep. we buried me in the backyard yep. in a time capsule. Uh, and so I just got dug up this morning, and you know, really happy to be out. I guess there's been some stuff happening in the world. But I want to start with this album, and then we'll get to the other stuff. Okay. Perfect. That sounds great. Uh, yeah, I was, again, revisiting this album. Uh, I had done this one, uh, Black Sea, Drums and Wires, and revisiting, it's so much better than I had ever remembered. I mean, it's 
yeah, it's like a pop masterpiece. It's the Beatles at their high form and it feels completely seamless. It feels I can't believe there was so many, you know, struggles with Todd Rundgren in the in the studio because it sounds just amazing. It feels it sounds breezy as fuck, right? It's yeah. It's like dreamy. Um, I have never heard this until <gasps> so yes. I'm here to be the novice opinion. <laughs> and it's fucking great. Like it's amazing how cohesive it is and it's alike a lot of things I've heard, but also completely unlike them, right? It's this really strange lens on a lot of stuff that's familiar and it just works super well. So Yeah, I'm I'm kinda like Anne. I, I'm super familiar with Black Sea and like English settlement. And I love those records. Um this one I was super familiar with Dear God. Like I've heard that I've been listening to that for years. It's a great, great track. So sitting down with this record, I mean it's a lot. It's it's dense. And it's really, really good finding out that there was, you know, beef with, you know, Partridge and, and Rundgren is, is wild. But yeah, it's, it's very, like, like Anne said, it's super cohesive. Um, it's impressive. I mean, the stuff they do with the vocals and, and the arrangements um, and the variety. Yeah, the variety. The variety is just what gets me. I mean, usually you have a concept album and yeah, the songs are related somehow uh, sort of musically, but this one just goes all over the place. It's, I don't know how to, it's amazing. I, I just can't believe they they kind of pulled off this concept and tied it together with the the lyricism and just have such disparate ideas for songs. Every song feels like a pop gem in itself. Mm. And if you pulled anyone off the album, it you know, you you'd kind of feel like something was probably missing there. It it just spans this gamut of of a it's like a kaleidoscope of pop filtered through XTC's ideas. It's great. I mean, I first got into this band, I think, do you guys remember those um Rhino record compilations sure, yeah. that they used to have like so Big Lots, which is a discount <laughs> Yeah. Uh, discount store here yeah. in the, the Midwest used to sell a lot of cassette tapes for the, there's like a two ninety nine rack. Yep. And I remember being at big lots and seeing all these rhino comps and they would be these extremely narrow, you know, uh, narrow in scope types of compilations like Boston power pop 76 to 79, like yep. everything you would need to know about that extremely narrow slice of, of music. Yeah. And I got um, one of them um, had This Is Pop, which I liked. And then the other one had Life Begins at the Hop from Drums and Wires. And it was the second one, really, that got me hooked. Yeah, uh, I thought that was a, a fantastic song. And I think I spent a lot of time on their earlier records, which were much, much different than this. Um, and then didn't get into Skylarking, I think, until later on after I'd been listening to XTC for a number of years. Going back and listening to this record for this podcast, though, I was yeah. just trying to think about the conflict and kind of where they were at, yeah. you know, and I, I had read the stories about his stage fright and his, uh, Andrew Partridge's stage fright and Valium addiction, but I hadn't really, I think thought about it or listened maybe in. So one of the things I did to try to understand this record was I went and listened to the one right before this, which was actually a side project of XTC, the Dukes of the Stratosphere mm -hmm. that was as different from this as you could possibly I think get, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, there's elements of psychedelia that translate from that project to this, mm -hmm. but a lot of the choices of instrumentation and, you know, some of the arrangements are completely different. Mm -hmm. So I listened to the demos, right? Cause you know, the story of this album is that 
Andy Partridge and Colin Molding and Dave Gregory, because Terry Chambers uh, had left by that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and they wrote 20 songs and sent them into the record label. And like Todd Rundgren, without talking to them, chose the ones he liked the best. And I have, uh, over the years, heard a lot of those demos. I have, there's actually a really cool series called Fuzzy Warbles, which is Andy Partridge's like demos mm-hmm. over the years. And I don't know how many volumes are. I have like five. And I think it's like, I think there's maybe 20. I don't know. I, I, that, that I don't know. There's a number of them. And I was listening to the demos for this record, and you can really, I had never really considered the fact that they were just coming out of the Dukes of the Stratosphere era. Yeah. And a lot of these songs, the original versions sound like Dukes of Stratosphere songs. Hmm. And so like comparing Summer's Cauldron, for example, like the demo version is twice as long, and it's just fuzz guitar going crazy with no singing for most of the song, and no crickets. <laughs> so wow. you could imagine walking into this recording project thinking like this is what where we are and our heads are now yeah. and then having some producers saying no we're gonna have like gongs and <laughs> and and synth crickets do you think it made do you think the the conflict is what makes this album i mean a lot of times that that's what happens i think or, it would have been incredible with, without rundgren like the songwriting's there but what he did on top of it is extraordinary but like, they've picked these songs though I mean, I, th- how many songs are on this record? Like uh, uh, officially, well, like with the Rundgren was the 14, one that knew that 14. "Dear God" was a hit. You know, yeah. So that would be fifteen right there with "Dear God." Mm-hmm. So they they sent in twenty. He picked <laughs> fifteen oh, of them. I thought that it was more than that. No, it's four, fourteen. But I thought that with, I thought that they sent him more. I didn't understand. Yeah, they sent him part. twenty. Yeah. Oh. Okay. So I mean, they he. So it's all there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but did. Is his wizardry? We called him like a wizard at the board. His, his 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 wizardry is pulled way the fuck back. Like he's okay. not doing all the weird shit. But like this whole string arrangements that we're listening to right now on um, uh, thousand umbrellas. That, yeah, thousand umbrellas. Mm-hmm. That, that's that's all him. Yeah. Like well, and I think that's that I, I read that like there were a lot more songs from molding on it than normal. Yeah. And that was probably a Rundgren like helped with that, or he seemed to think that. Yeah. There were more of those on there because somebody was arguing with Partridge about the need for those to be there. Yeah, but he, he also recognizes that they're good. But right. Like, there was that interview where he said, I was glad there was a third party arbitrator right. there to make sure that I got some songs in. Yeah. Wasn't just bullied. I will say that the demo of this song is which awful. Is which? It's all just acoustic, right? Umbrellas. It is. And like there were some just very weird harmonic choices. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, compared to how how beautiful this version yeah, of, this is one of, of One Thousand Umbrellas, just mm-hmm. I don't remember if I mentioned the song we were yeah. talking about, but God, it's so good. Yeah, it is <laughs> it's, good. It's incredible. This is this is Beatles, uh, and I hate to bring up the Beatles and compare Me them, too. but but obviously, you know, very inspired, and they are conceptually. I think it it harkens back to that idea, but this does feel like one of those peak albums. You know that they were doing in some. If someone argued that this is better than you know those Beatles albums, oh, you I'd, can. I'd have a hard can. time saying that they they'd be wrong because it's it's well executed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The um, speaking of the Beatles, uh, the uh, that Super Supergirl, um, mm-hmm. the snares was taken from uh, Utopia's album to face the music, which was a concept album written to recreate the Beatles songs throughout their history. 
Hmm. Ah. <laughs> Strange enough. And then he, uh, whoever the guitarist is, is that Andy Partridge or uh, Bob Moulding? Uh, Bob Moulding's the wrong word. Yeah, Bob, you're thinking you're combining thinking college mold. molding and Bob mold. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. That's that's who yeah. skirt you see, which is, <laughs> I, would, I think, I, would, I don't know which episode I would that go is, see but. that band right now. <laughs> I would too. <laughs> Me too. Uh, but yeah, he, he lifted the, uh, the, the five-note solo from another uh, Utopia song, uh, Magic Dragon Theater. Unconsciously, right? Yeah. Mm. yeah. But Utopia was writing a, a Beatles concept record that they yeah. sampled the snare drum off mm-hmm. of, which is awesome. Yeah. Uh, I did when I was listening to this. I I hadn't read anything about you know what this is supposed to sound like or what he had intended. And then I read a quote that says uh, Partridge had commented, "A playful, sexual, hot summer. It's just about summer and being out in the open and discovering sex and stumbling in a teenage way." And I was like, "Man, that's like that was exactly in my brain." So what he conveyed just through that statement is exactly the feeling I was getting listening to the album, which it's, I feel like that's rare when an artist says, Oh, it's about this. And then you, you almost have those same words in your, in your head when you're listening to it. Laying on the grass, my heart it flares like Going back to the conflict, you know, Rob was saying, you know, does it make it, does it not? And also Rob was saying that Rundgren kind of pulled back the wizardry. I thought it was interesting. There was a quote from him that said this was the first album that he produced where he didn't have to engage in, I think he said, songcraft agitation. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, yeah, it would fucking suck to work with this guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and there was this other story, too, where it's just like, I feel... I guess if like you're, you know, if taking sides is part of this, like I feel a little bit for Andy Partridge, there was a story about how <laughs> he didn't like the way Todd Rundgren didn't like the way that Andy Partridge was singing something. So yeah. he went down and sang the track and said, you can listen to the way that I sang it and then just follow that and just mimic yeah. that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you can hear it in your headphones. Yeah. But- I mean, I just... I mean, I, I would fucking hate that. Yeah, and there, there was another time when he told him, uh, oh, yeah, you can do it your way, but I'm just going to leave the recording studio, and you call me when you decide to do it the way that, the right way, which is the way I'm telling you to do it. So right. he just left the studio, and it's like, call me back when you realize that I'm right and you're wrong. I mean, I think it was even, like, a little bit nuanced, like, even worse than that. I think he said, <laughs> when you realize yeah. this won't work, yeah, yeah, I'll go. be at the house. Yeah. <laughs> And another one of him saying, well, when you sing like that, you sound like a pedophile. <laughs> oh, my God. So, so maybe drop, maybe, maybe bring it up a couple or an octave. It was all oh right. It was Colin Molding in grass because apparently he was singing it at oh, like a lower yeah. octave. Mm-hmm. So I'm not even sure. And then when I read that, I was like sitting in my car, like 
just trying it out. Like, does it really sound weird? Well, they left it in, and they, they just put the uh, octave on top, like I David think it Bowie was does. Both, yeah. Oh, okay. So yeah. you could strip it down to that one if you wanted to listen to um, it. Oh, this song's so Well, good. did yeah. you guys read about the weird, like, reversed polarity thing on this record? Mm. Yeah. Which That's Todd Lundgren says does not exist. He said huh. it's made up. What really? is it? Tell, you think tell so? Tell about it. Well, it's what he says. Tyler. Basically, um, when they put out a reissue of it, uh, Partridge said uh, there was like a problem with the the polarity that resulted in like a 30% degradation of the sound quality. Yeah. Uh, Partridge said if a connector or important piece of gear is wired wrongly on the way to the mix, the sound that should be pushing out from your speakers are in fact pulled in, playing out the back of the speaker instead of the front. Yeah, I know. It took me a while to grasp it too. I. Alex, what do you know about that? You know, I looked into it and it's not something that I could hear like listening to the two different versions. And Todd Rundgren says that's complete bullshit. It didn't happen. Because basically Andy Partridge was saying that there was a, a defect or a flaw in the the uh, uh, Todd Rundgren setup for recording. So they're like, just going to keep wiring burning each other well, It wouldn't be the recording, death. it would be the mastering though. So Rundgren... Was he doing that? I don't think he was doing the mastering. He he got paid $150,000 to do Holy tape, shit. Co- tape costs, uh, studio hires, lodging in his production fee. That's, yeah, that's, that's why he didn't use very much tape, right? Yeah. Isn't that what Partridge said? Yeah. He wanted to it's save money. It's all digital. <laughs> I mean, that's... It, it, it sounds like it cost more than that to have Todd Rundgren on the boards. I don't know. That's a crazy amount, though. I don't know either. You know, my, my mind keeps going back, though, to this difference. You know, again, they're walking in, you know, they're at this stage in their career where they just did these Dukes to the Stratosphere records, yeah. which have these kind of huge, like, kind of wall of sound kind of feel. And then this is much more like everything is in its place. I mean, it's lush and it's got lots of layers, but they don't bleed into each other. Yeah. In the way yeah. that, you know, the Deuce of the Stratosphere was everything was bleeding into everything else. Yeah. And so if that's what you were sort of immersing yourself in, this probably would sound thin, not because of it actually sounds thin, but because you've just been listening to your music in a particular way. And all of a sudden you come up with this product. It's just so completely different. I mean, it's happened to me. I'm yeah. sure it's happened to, to other people. Like you spend a lot of time thinking about music that you're making in a particular way and then... It goes up on tape and everything is sort of, you know, maybe you can hear it clearly for the first time and you're like, uh, oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> it just sounds wrong because it's not what you've sort of been it's you not know, swimming your head in. anymore. Yes. Yeah, it's a concrete set of things. Well, yeah. I, I would hope XTC had their gear figured out so they would know what they were sounding like before going in the studio. A little, little different than like practicing in a, a meat locker with like the shittiest <laughs> equipment ever and then realizing, oh no, <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> so did you guys know that um, XTC has a yearly convention? No. <laughs> no. There's a convention no. every year for XTC fans, like since like 1989. Have you been? Wow. Uh, no, I just found out about it. I was going to say, I, they just invited you? Did you squeal when you, <laughs> you, you read it? You know, I consider myself a big fan, and then like when I was looking into it for this podcast, I'm like, I'm, I'm nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nothing at all. I really love these records. I've spent a lot of time with them. 
I've never been to a convention, mm-hmm. or nor did I even know that they existed. Yeah. I, I is it similar to the time. Gathering of the Juggalos, would you say? I would imagine it's somewhat different. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> 75% less buttholes. <laughs> a significant butthole reduction. <laughs> uh, and there's also uh, just straight up XTC podcast, too, where they have... Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. I think they're at least much much better than this discussion. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. um, well, I mean, like they're definitely like you know. Look, a cop will members... not show you his butthole. All right, that, that's are we still thing. on this? I, I mean, are we not <laughs> ever? Are we ever off this? Um, I did want to say this: the way that this sounds, and the way, um, especially "Earn Enough for Us" sounds. It just sounds five five to ten years ahead of its time. It sounds oh, yeah. like that jangly yeah. '90s. You got Blur, mm. Oasis, it's wild how all the college radio. Sounds. I mean, this is this is the template. Like this, it feels like that retro. Looking back to the sort of Beatles esque replacement, you know, all that stuff is. I, I just couldn't believe how how similar it was to that that music and and me remembering that. Yeah, I, I I hadn't thought about that. Like, I, perfect, perfectly honest with y'all. Um, I was so upset that we didn't get any of their early records. Like that, it was. I was kind of like, I was harumphing around, yeah. like you know, <laughs> thinking about. Well, I mean, Skylar is good, but I'm talking about yeah, Um, so I. I didn't even put that that part together. The uh, like the the upcoming like British invasion, it just and, and here they so, are. Yeah, it's and, so and ahead. No one gave a shit. Yeah, that's the saddest <laughs> part. So like, this is a, this is like a fucking perfect record that no one cared about except for the critics. So oh, I, I just I, I have a question. I have a question, and I'm going to ask so Kyle sure first to a- answer this question. So if there was a second, let's say that they eliminated one of the Bossa Nova records, and they put a second ecstasy record on, which one do you think should be in? Uh, English settlement. Mm. Mm. Bold. Why? Because it's fucking awesome. <laughs> I don't know. I, like I said, I was really familiar with Dear God, but I hadn't heard anything else off this record. And my first listen, like, I'll be honest, like, it was kind of a casual listen, but I was like, oh, Rudgren, like, you know, filed their edges off. Like, they don't have that kind of, mm. you know, mm. angular, angry uh, sound. Um, but, of course, I listened to it more and more, and, you know, it revealed uh, – how complex and intricate and well-crafted it is. But yeah, it's, SEC got robbed in this book and it's, I'm surprised. I feel like two, I feel like we should have at least got two. Especially because mm. they're British, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It bucks the trend that we've laid upon this book for being very British centric. I believe so. that hmm. Robert Demery's ex-girlfriend liked both XTC and Squeeze. <laughs> <laughs> but you couldn't. And loved Huey Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Harry Belafonte. <laughs> but Skylarking was a good enough record that it cut through and at least yeah. that one made it in. Yeah. I don't want to like understate the importance yeah. of this record oh, and yeah. the, just the artistry and everything that went like that. What, what happened when I put on a decent pair of headphones and listen to this, like, for the first time, like, just paying attention, I fucking, my mind got blown, man. Yeah. Like, that, one of the, like, a almost religious experience. Yeah. yeah. When I was a guy who had never heard this, like, this feels like a missing link. Like, it does, mm-hmm. it's so much, like, indie rock leader, like, stuff that I have heard as an assumption of something you do, like, is 
mm-hmm. happening here um, that I hadn't heard before. It's like, yeah, it's wild. I, I left it's out. Oh, great. Sorry. So no, it's good. I left out the REM reference too. I hear so much of their later stuff. Mm. It's like the early REM. Sure. It has, has this, but I feel like this, it's that thing where it bounces back and forth across. Like, were was were all the great bands of that era in? Like, was it all the great bands of that era were just influenced by the same like yeah. post psych stuff, and I then mean, they I just came so. up like they it came up with it organically? I don't think I, I I wouldn't accuse anyone aside from the future heads of like you know stealing from XTC. They're a little bit l- later, but I would definitely say that '90s bands that were looking towards. They originally, obviously, the Beatles. They're looking towards the Beatles mm-hmm. and, and bringing that psych stuff. But this is, I mean, a huge influence. I've I've read from numerous artists okay. that cite this as being one of the best albums, you know, um, and that this band is was really exceptional. They're not wrong. Yeah, yeah. the vocal harmonies especially kind of blew me away on this record in particular. Yeah. yeah. What is it called? Poly harmonies? Is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. There's a certain word, yeah. Uh, mm, they sound amazing. Does anybody remember that scene from Neon Genesis Evangelion? I was just about to... <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I he showed us the picture before we got came down. <laughs> I remember bringing over that box set to your house. We were hung over his shit and we just burnt through it. And you were like, oh my god, he's listening to XTC. <laughs> so, Kyle, have you ever seen that? So there's a, there's a scene where Shinji's talking to Asuka and it's kind of like... The camera, it's not really a camera. But I haven't watched this show since the 90s, Alex. Well, remember this one tiny <laughs> scene that was only for five seconds. I'm sure you remember it. <laughs> anyway, yeah, there's a, there's a scene where there's a small XTC logo on the back of Shinji's t-shirt. And you kind of see Shinji and Asuka both from the back. And he's talking to her. I'll like, send you the picture, the picture later. There's also a scene where Shinji is laying in bed listening to his... Uh, uh, mini disc player and on the mini disc oh like God, XTC is like the uh, like the the band he's listening to. Oh, that that I, I did I did not. Yeah. That's cool. the one that you pointed out to me. That's oh. the one I specifically remember. I've I've you, forgotten lots of cool things. We were That's very just one of them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did think it was funny that he couldn't get the original uh, sleeve design of uh, depicting close up shots of human pubic regions with flowers fitted into the hairs. Female on the front. And uh, mail on the back. Well, I mean, they made them eventually. Come on, man. Yeah, like, yeah. The so, CD release had it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it would have sold better. <laughs> he said it would have been a, a commercial like I think disaster. At the time, it wouldn't yeah. have worked, right? Yeah. But well, like, I don't know. It would have been a hit with perverts. <laughs> <laughs> the main demographic of any musician. <laughs> I mean, they were already in the doghouse with Virgin at that point, which is yeah. why they were forced to have you know Todd Rundgren take over I mean right so this one had to sell 70,000 or they were out (laughs) Kyle do you want to write that review uh do you want to become a reviewer just so we can put that in quotes (laughs) could have been big with perverts (laughs) uh sounds like a big black album yeah Sunshine come through. How can you smile and 
out, it, they, they did report Skylarking was met with indifference in the UK, rising in the album charts to number 90, while both of its lead singles, Grass and The Meeting Place, peaked at number 100. Uh, it, and it does mention that early sales of the album were hampered by the omission of Dear God. I don't know. I mean, Dear God became a, a US big, hit. big radio, like yeah. a, at least a college radio hit. Yep. I remember reading about how there were uh, it's at least one bomb threat because of that song, and I was like, thank God that wouldn't happen today. <laughs> You've come so far, everybody. <laughs> you know, I, I was thinking about it, too. Like, I remember when I first heard this record, the, the most revelatory song was 1,000 Umbrellas. Yeah, man. Yeah. Okay. I, that's yeah. one of my favorite the ones. The rest of it was good, oh, but like that song, I was like, you know, and I had a, by that point purchased a number of compilations. I had like, you know, BBC sessions and like that. I mean, I guess it makes sense why that song was after their live days. That's probably why I didn't show up any of the, on, on that material. But well, So, yeah, I think and I was and thinking about because you were saying that this feels like they filed the edges off maybe, but. I think especially in that one, there's like an undercurrent of bitterness about aging in this whole album. True. And sometimes it strikes better than others. Like in the Supergirl song, I felt like it was like a little, um, I don't know. I didn't like it as much in that, but like in a thousand umbrellas, I feel like it's, it's like a sincere bitterness that does kind of, there's like an edge to this from that stuff, like from the acknowledgement of like dying and loss and stuff. It's so, a different kind of edge. It's a ninth uh, album, you know, no, it's just interesting because yeah, that's such that's one of my favorite ones. But it's interesting that both the singles were Colin Moulding songs. I'd never really thought about that before. I thought that was weird too. I don't know exactly why. Um, maybe they didn't have say in what became singles, and the the record label were like, "You're." we're going to pick the singles on this or? or maybe they were just like all right they just got off the phone with andy partridge who's like i want to put genitals on the album and they hang up the phone and they're like none of his songs are going to be singles, his <laughs> <on> his singles. <laughs> seems logical i mean that's how Possible. these people's minds work it's, it's strange that partridge was the guy who wanted to take off dear god uh, you know that's disputed that's disputed he says is it disputed that, he says that that never happened he said that, that the record, so Rundgren's version is Partridge was worried what people would think and mm -hmm. wanted it off the album. Partridge's version is that never happened and it was the record label that was worried. Mm. Mm. That seems more re like believable to me, but. I mean, they do kind of hate each other's guts. I could see that, but I don't see why he would. I don't know. Well, why would someone who wanted to put genitals on the front cover, the album cover, be like, but I don't want this song about atheism going in there? Right? Maybe, does it make any sense? I don't know. Maybe the volume addiction was uh, it's, uh, doing its thing. I thought know. he said that he was ending the volume addiction, though. Yeah, his wife but, at the time flushed flushed everything down. Was that, that, so was that was a few was years before, before, though. That was before this album, okay. right? Yeah, mm -hmm. so he was out of that. All right. And he, I think that that was kind of playing into him, like... Bridging into psychedelia, thirteen and, like, years about things differently, right? Thirteen years. It's a real long ass time to be addicted to Valium, like, and to like overcome it and then be like <laughs> still alive. And I was like, gifted my grandmother's 
diary that she started when I was in the second grade and had to do a diary for class. So mm-hmm. she was also doing a diary, and the entire fucking thing was like, I'm afraid I'm going to run out of my medicine. I'm afraid I'm going to run out of my medicine. Because she was absolutely a value addict. Whoa. Yeah, it was dark. It was a dark thing to find after, uh, like, <laughs> my grandpa died. Well, and, like, his addiction started when he was 12. That Which means that's little, like the, be- that's during a, the time your brain is growing. Yeah. <laughs> that's some serious better living through chemistry, like, uh, <laughs> ideas. Yeah. Ah, this new drug's gonna make this kid, uh, stop Calm running down around. Or <laughs> no more loud noises from this guy. So he was 24. And then he was, what, 20, 28 when this was written then? 27, 28? Must have been. Damn. I still haven't read anything this good. And I never will. There's still time. <laughs> Artists work at different paces. Does anybody have a track on this album they didn't like as much? Oh, uh, big day. Hmm. Not, not the big thing. Big big fan. Too um, sentimental. Eh, yeah. just it, it. I felt like, yeah, big day was a little... I was glad it was there. It's not that I disliked, but I, I could feel that a little bit. Season cycle like reminded me of Happening as Pie. Uh, the, hmm. uh, from, uh, yeah. What, uh, what, what, kids in the Hall. Kids in the Hall. Yeah, Brain Candy. Well, and so <laughs> that one, I like, when I was listening to it over and over again, I was like, this is goofy as fuck. I feel like I should really hate this, but I just really like it. <laughs> it's yeah. like... Rob, what about mouthful of sores? (laughs) (laughs) Take it from me, a guy who's got mouth sores. Loving you is like a mouthful of sores. I thought uh, Super Supergirl was. uh, I mean, it just it takes a minute. I like that one a whole bunch. I like that a lot to sink in. Yeah, I think the tone of that felt so like sort of vengefully that it like. Yeah. And it's also really like postmodern aware of itself, which yeah. I wasn't as because yeah. what's cool about most of this album is it's very it feels very like sincerely like a consideration of life and death. Mm-hmm. And that one felt more like a like, oh, aren't some women horrible? And it like didn't connect with me as well. Yeah. Talking um, about the fortress of solitude. And I mean, it's cute and clever, but yeah. it's just not. And the way that it breaks the album up with a flipping it to ballad of a rainy day. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. man, come on. I mean. Yeah, that's why I'm saying I don't I don't see the way they track this. I'm a big fan of tracking and I feel like they tracked it perfectly. Oh, it's seamless. Yeah. Anything they would have taken out, if they would have taken out Big Day, then that would have that would have been de- deprived us of of sort of having this, you know, wedding event, mm-hmm. the sort of uh you know, moving from one stage into another stage. And they did take out uh, Mermaid, Mermaid Smiles, Smiles and then, yep. but still uh, the uh, Dear God was the last track after that. Yep. So Mermaid, Mermaid Smile, so it's uh, another satellite into the man who sailed around his soul. Yeah. What do you think about that one? <laughs> yeah, I know I going to ask that one. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love that, 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 that That's Todd Rundgren being back to Studio Imp. Yep. <laughs> yeah, for oh, sure. Oh, yeah, well, I I think I'm going to go with a spy movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, it, it's feel, it, felt like, it felt like a really beautiful distillation of how I feel when I watch Moonraker. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was just like, oh, yes. <laughs> this is a sonic presence that I can just bite-size. I don't have to watch the whole movie. Right. I thought of cool stuff, too, and not just the Pink Panther cartoons. <laughs> <laughs> Is Moonraker cool though? <laughs> like, is that the one uh, with uh, 
got Jaws. Three goes into space. It's got a. And then Jaws has that girlfriend with pigtails at the end. <laughs> yeah. It's real yeah. fucked up. He goes. There's space. a pigeon that does a double take in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I made Birch rewind it because I was too hungover to do it. It's so good. Like, yeah, that's, that's the gif I want playing at my funeral. See, I think you both should be doing reviews because that one needs to be in quotes. <laughs> I think that would be a good Rotten Tomatoes. Um, I liked that the uh, meeting place had the industrial sounds that were uh, Fairlight sequenced. Mm-hmm. That was nice. Uh, the coolest thing I found out about in this whole ding dong uh, thingamajig was the uh, on dying. Uh, the clarinet uh, was, sample was played on a Chamberlain, and I didn't know what a Chamberlain was. Oh. Um, did anybody else no, look that up? It basically it's the precursor to the Mellotron. Came out in 1946. It's considered the first sampler. Oh, wow. wow! But yeah, like uh, the that's all. All the tape samples were from on, a Chamberlain. On dying. Uh, hmm? oh, on dying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Which uh, I thought was pretty pretty damn cool. Yeah, we didn't talk about the Fairlight CMI Yamaha DX7 EMU emulator pre MIDI uh, Lindrum and the Prophet Ten. Yeah, and uh, all the usual suspects. Prophet Ten was bought especially for this album. Also, the JX like P, I think, from Roland, uh, which is a a rad rad synth, uh, but they were using a sequencer for a lot of stuff too. Yeah, Uh, and just like. <laughs> the arrangements on this are fucking bananas, and the reason, like, the reason why Todd Brundgren was like would say something as pretentious is like, yeah, I didn't have to go back and fucking like you know retrofit this bullshit is because these guys had such a such a grasp on on like tonality mm-hmm. and, and 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 counter melody and all that shit. Like, he didn't have to do it. What he did was just like little flourishes over top. Yeah. I don't know. Um, you know, th- thinking about Todd Rungan coming from like New York Dolls. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like to this is pretty, pretty fucking incredible. Like he's, he's good behind the board. Absolutely. And, like, and, and, even before, outside of that, he's great as a, uh, just an arranger. Yeah. He's got a way with words. <laughs> <laughs> he is a prick. He doesn't, he doesn't want to go to work. He wants to bang on those drums all day. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, saw Todd Rundgren open up for Hollow Notes about 20 years ago. Oh, I will never tire of hearing that. Did he talk about this record on stage? Perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> did he bang on some drums? Unclear. I don't think he did. <sighs> uh, what do we think? Everybody's on the positive, right? Yeah. yeah. There's no way. Okay, yeah. okay. There should have been another XTC record in the book. Yeah. yeah. All right, next time we'll be talking about Steve Earle, Guitar Town. All right, thanks, y'all. <laughs> Is that right. fake? Did you say a fake thing? <laughs> guitar <No>. Town. <laughs> <laughs> the next time we'll be talking about Joey Guitar with Guitar Bell. Nope, that's the real album. Right. Oh, was I supposed to hit record? Yeah.